Scene one, Apple, take one. Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of Film Notes. I have some old content from one of the AOF film festivals a few years ago where we did a special event where we played the recording of all the best scene scripts. And to do that, we recruited, I recruited a bunch of voiceover talent and we had them read all the characters and put them out so each director would know what it sounded like to hear their script, best scene, read aloud. Thought it might be really fun to put this out as a bonus episode, so please enjoy. Search for Independence, written by Harold Brown. Interior Beck Ranch, Quonset Night. Jeff stands at whiteboard schematic headed ice. Boxes are labeled fuel, controller, mixer, membrane, energy. Still visible is Einar's note, unintended consequences assessment, independence. The fuel is the hydrogen cartridge you sent me. The processor controller is the microchip processor grandpa and I built. Jeff tips his Cal Calgary Stampeder cap back and holds a blue USB drive up to his computer camera. He's Skyping with Kate. This contains the program that runs the whole thing and... Time for a drum roll? He plugs a power cord into the aluminum-sided case. Banks of LEDs hanging from the ceiling flash on. The result? The production of an endless stream of electricity. It works! Ice really works! Jeff walks to the whiteboard and immediately erases everything except the word independence. Never say ice. It scared Grandpa. Ketla's puzzled. It's independence. He always spoke of energy independence. Couldn't have done it without your help. Interior Iceland Tech Lab, same time. Katla stares at Jeff on her computer screen. And the bank. Didn't think they'd give you a quarter of a million dollars. Intercut, Quonset and Iceland Tech Lab. But I got a loan. Now I need to get the patent registered, and then- Did you do an unintended consequences assessment? Jeff looks at the aluminum case. Grandpa Beck lectured us on doing a UCA many times. I need an interested party to invest to pay back the loan. I've got to register independence. What do you think will happen when your government, any government, big oil companies, power companies, find out what you've done? Done? What do you mean? Invented? You'll be a target. A hero? They'll want a piece of you. A piece of the prize. Or they'll want to bury it. Jeff opens the aluminum case. Think about it, Jeff. I have, and it's scalable. Katla stares at the aluminum case besides Jeff. Scalable? Forget about that powering a hybrid car or a house for a full month. You're talking office towers, an entire city, a country. You'd replace utility companies and the entire oil industry. One month? I'm tweaking the microprocessor. It'll provide power for four months. A family could rent this case and buy a refueling cartridge for $100. Grandpa Beck might ask if you're on the wrong shelf in life with this. The wrong shelf. Last time he said I was pursuing the wrong dream, I just quit university to help him on the ranch. Okay, okay, but you definitely need to do a UCA. Before you unleash it, you can't fix the chaos after. The world needs to know. 
You mean you want the credit? Jeff turns away from his monitor. Catlin notices. I saw that. Right now. I need the money. Okay. Register ICE. Uh, independence with the Canadian authorities. I want to register it in Iceland. You listen to the news over here? Silence. Our government technology agency has been hacked. Iceland's patent office? Yep. First they denied it. Then there were the usual suspects. Now a rogue U.S. computer type claims it's the work of the NSA. I need backers quickly, or I can kiss independence and the ranch. The sound of a distant gunshot. What's that? Cattle wrestlers? I've got to go. Get down here. Now. Featuring Jeff, read by Matt Gallagher. Katya, read by Ellen Richards. Dr. Ives, read by Danica Jensen. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Benny B. by Michael William Hogan. Interior, Butchenstein Residence, Afternoon. Benny's daughter Catherine and grandson Wyatt let themselves into the house through the front door. Hello? Dad? Hey, hon! Over here! Catherine and Wyatt follow Benny's voice into the kitchen. Interior, Butchenstein Kitchen. Benny sits on the floor surrounded by dozens of cases of bubblegum. Oh my god. Grandpa! There he is! Wyatt! Buddy! Come here, I've got something for you! What's in all the boxes? Wyatt stoops to give Benny a hug. Benny blows and pops a big bubblegum bubble. Want to join in the... Want to join the big leagues? Here! Dad, what is all this? It's bubblegum, Catherine. The good stuff! It's a little early for Halloween handouts. Uh, never too early to be prepared. Are you okay? Mom's really worried about you. Ah, your mother's having another midlife crisis. Wyatt blows and pops a bubble. Good one, buddy. You know that's not it. I've refused to get stuck in the middle of you two, but she asked me to come by and pick up a few things to ship to her at Aunt Nettie's. Hmm. It's probably safer there. Look, why don't you and Wyatt drive the stuff to Nettie's place and stay for a while? We can't do that. I have to work. Aunt Nettie has a pool. Can we go, Mom? We are going to Phoenix, Wyatt. You know, Dad, I've been through some not-so-fun changes myself. I get your unhappiness, but lately I'm seeing what Mom's been talking about. I'm worried, and I think you need some professional help. <laughs> well, thanks for your concern. Fact is, I need a lot of help because they're coming in less than a week. Who's coming? The Zeppendulars. They're going to start the harvest and... Well, We've got to be ready. Catherine grabs Wyatt by the shoulders and moves him behind her, away from Benny. Dad, we'll just grab those things for Mom and be on our way. Please, Kath, tell me you'll take Wyatt to Phoenix soon. Very soon. Dad. And, and take some of this with you, as a favor to me. Benny nudges two cases of bubblegum toward Catherine. Come with me, Wyatt. Hang out with Grandpa. I need you to carry some of Grandma's stuff to the car. Catherine, please. I don't want my family to be eaten by aliens. Aliens? Cool. That's it. You're scaring him. Catherine grabs Wyatt by the arm and drags him down a hallway. I'm not scared. Dad, go out in the backyard until we're gone. What? Why? This is my house. Catherine and Wyatt disappear down a hallway. 
Benny dejectedly slouches out the back door. How am I supposed to warn anybody if my own family won't believe me? Featuring Catherine, read by Samantha Shu, Benny, read by Kane Blust, Wyatt, read by Shondar McKinney, Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Deepa by Design by Laura Jacques. Interior, Deepa's bedroom, day. Sad music plays, a tarp covers the carpet. Deepa stands over a tray of white paint. She pushes a roller along the wall. Her exotic scenery vanishes into whiteness. The doorbell chimes. Deepa sighs and sets down the roller. Interior, Deepa's house, foyer, same. Deepa opens the door. Her face registers shock. Micah. Interior, Deepa's bedroom, same. You're supposed to be in art class. Micah drops his book bag, nuzzles her neck. I was worried about you. You haven't been answering my texts. Deepa swoons as he caresses her, then pushes him away. Micah surveys the room and the wall. Why are you painting over your wall? Micah, you can't be here. Mr. P won't turn me in. Maddie gave me your assignments. He unzips his bag and removes a sheet for paper, papers. Deepa tosses them on her desk. Thanks. So, this is nuts, huh? Principal Markham is such an idiot. There were a lot of complaints. Yeah, but how stupid do they look now, with your winning the student category in the art show? But they can't just... Wait, what? Mr. P hasn't told you? No, I won? Are you sure? For a moment, she looks radiantly happy. Yeah, dude, you got the big scholarship. How sweet is that? Deepa's ecstatic smile falls as reality rushes in. They can give it to someone else. What are you talking about? I'm giving up art. That's insane. You love art, and you're great at it. Yeah, well, not everyone has parents who think it's great if you want to pursue gymnastics or gaming or art. Deeps, if they love you, they'll want you to do what makes you happy. It's not that simple. They love me, but happiness isn't a prime factor for most Indians when they're choosing a career. It's more like a successful career can provide for a happy life. Micah snores derisively. <laughs> anyway, if I don't give up art, Appa will send Appachan back to India. Damn, that's harsh. He tries to hug her. She pushes him away. You've got to go. Amma will be home soon. So this is a chance for her to see how nice I am. Skipping class to check on you? Look, I, I just can't put them through anything else right now. How am I anything else? I'm not supposed to be dating at all, Micah, much less a white guy. But you asked me out. They don't know that. Don't know you asked me out? Don't know about you at all. Jesus, Deepa, what? How exactly did you think this was going to work out? I, I, I never got that far. Micah grabs his book back. He stammers angrily. You can forget about the Indian girl being the hero in my game. Heroes fight for what they want, for what's important. It's not that simple. Well, maybe I'm just not that important. He storms out of the room. She slams the door behind him. Furious, she turns, her foot landing in the tray of paint. Ah! Featuring Deepa, read by Joyce Yu. Micah, read by Matt Gallagher. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Destiny of Tar and Feathers by Harold Brown, inspired by True Events. Reporters jockey for position, thrusting their microphones into James's face. Male reporter steps up. Mr. Cardinal. Joe lunges in front of male reporter. Mr. Cardinal, Canna Industries has been charged 
four times with contracting irregularities involving the employment of Aboriginal companies. Accusations, all dismissed. Jill raises her microphone. James ignores her and pushes on. All ruled as not violating any employment or contracting practices, all meeting the intent of the cooperative agreement signed by the Fort Athabasca Band. Why is it then that the Fort Athabasca Band has not been successful in any of its bids on large Canisan contracts? James ignores the question, speaking to the broader audience. Today's ruling affirms what we've said all along. The allegations were unfounded and an unnecessary waste of the court's time. Don't you think... Kana Sands is a good corporate citizen, a solid member of the community. More than 20 million in contracts have been awarded to local band contractors. Jill pushes microphone in front of James. Your firm is certainly benefiting from the shoddy contracting practices of big oil companies. James searches the crowd for a friendly reporter with a question. More to the point, they seem to be winning at the expense of those who aren't able to defend themselves. Archie pushes to the front. Excuse me, I don't like what you're implying. Are you with Mr. Cardinal? I am Archie Gladdo, Peace Prairie Settlement Elder and member of the Mates National Council. My point was not meant to put down Aboriginal people, but it seems those who have money and contacts are doing very well. The future of our children cannot be bought with paper and words we cannot trust. Print that in your paper. James points to Mayor Reporter, hoping to change topic. Next question. Isn't your father, Lewis Cardinal, a Mady's elder with the Peace Prairie Mady's settlement? Nothing to do with this case. Isn't Canisans entering into discussions with the Peace Prairie settlement? Canisans contracted pre-production work to the best qualified companies. The professional companies have chosen to work, while some find it difficult to play in the big league and would rather run to the courts when their feelings are hurt. James surveys the crowd. Now it's time for the Fort Athabasca Band companies and those who want to play in the big league to play like pros. They need to live up to their contracts and provide the services they agreed to deliver. You seem to be more interested in defending big corporations. What about- I'm concerned about justice, fairness, and the best interests of my clients, whoever they are. Mr. Cardinal, what do you think your father would say about this? Listen, I'll take any questions you have about today's ruling. I am not here to talk about my father, the matey, or any. I just wonder what a man about to take on big business, a business that has deep financial pockets and the backing of a parent company in the States, would have to say about his son working for that big business. Ask him. Why aren't you helping your father's efforts to fend off Fort Athabasca's ban challenge to the Métis rights to hunt year-round? <sighs> Last I recall, the matey weren't here first. Indian bands signed treaties with the federal government. They gave up land so they could be settled and minerals like oil could be developed. In return, they got reserves and the right to hunt. Any rights the Mady think they have, they need to take up with the Alberta government. So they have no rights? Look, French marry English, English marry Indians. Indians marry French. They're not French, English, or Indian. They're all half-bloods. The Alberta government chose to recognize the half-French Indian by giving them Métis settlements, the only province in Canada to do this. Off-settlement, English, French, Indian, Métis have the same rights as any other Albertan. He ends media scrum and pushes past Jill and Mail Reporter. Featuring Mail Reporter, read by Matt Gallagher. Jill, read by Shondar McKinney. James, read by Stephen Diaz. Archie, read by Kane Blust. Narrator, Read by Shane Borza.
Epic Nights, written by Nathan Martinez. Interior Las Vegas nightclub, Chad Jordan's table, night. Hello, Ashley. I'm Johnny. How do you know my name? I did my research and asked around about who the most beautiful girl in Las Vegas is. Everyone I talked to said her name was Ashley Brooke. Once I saw you walk in, I just knew that had to be you. Oh, is that right? So tell me, Johnny, was it? How many times have you used that line since you've been in Vegas? First time. Well, Johnny, if you did your research, then you'd also know I have a boyfriend. I heard that, but I'm not interested in him. Only you. <laughs> is that a fact? Well, it's going to take a lot more than a cute face and a pickup line to convince you. I didn't expect it to be easy, but that's the fun part, right? I guess, but only if both people are interested. So you think I'm cute, huh? No, I said... I know what you said. Well, someone seems to think very highly of themselves. Like my mom always says, confidence is sexy. Ha, so you're a mama's boy. Yes, ma'am. She's the queen. That's sweet. I like that. So, I'm thinking about moving out here to Vegas, and you're one of the only people I know. I was thinking that you would be the perfect person to show me around town. And why would I do that? Because you're a good Samaritan. Ashley laughs and shakes her head. So you think I'm supposed to take time out of my busy schedule and show you around town? And only on the off chance that you move here? <laughs> nice try, Johnny. I love the way you say that. Say what? My name. Johnny winks at Ashley. She breaks into a coy smile and lets out a small giggle. <laughs> I love this song. Ashley, you want to dance? Ashley thinks about it, staring at Johnny intently. Just then, Chad Jordan and his crew arrive at the table. Chad walks right up to Ashley, grabs her, and starts to kiss her. What's up, babe? Who's this? This is my friend, Johnny. Johnny sticks out his hand to shake Chad's. Chad scoffs and ignores the gesture. Sorry, Johnny, but I don't know you, and this happens to be a private party, so I'm, uh, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. No problem. Chad, I already got what I came here for anyways. Oh uh, yeah? What's that? It was a pleasure meeting with you, Ashley. Johnny grabs Ashley's hand and kisses it slowly. Chad immediately rips Ashley's hand back and begins to shout. Uh, security! Get this fucking asshole out of my table. If I see you near my girl again, you're dead. Johnny turns to leave the table and is grabbed by security. Epic Nights. Featuring Johnny, read by Matt Gallagher, Ashley, read by Danica Jensen, Chad, read by Stephen Diaz, narrator, read by Shane Borza. The Allure of Blackfish, written by Kay Patterson. Fade in. Exterior frozen lake, minutes later. A gloved hand brushes away snow, exposing blue-gray ice. Flynn kneels on the snow. He tugs off a glove covers his bare hand over the ice, waiting, sensing something. Flynn grins. Chipping lake ice with a pick, he sets his flag, claims the spot as his for fishing. You make it look so easy, Flynn. 
Kendra's sled scrapes over crusted snow and ice, halts a meter away from Flynn. Spots taken. Kendra extends her bare hand over the ice by Flynn's flag. She smiles, impressed. McShull, my name's Kendra. Flynn ignores her, tugs on his glove. It's a different sensation feeling them through the ice. Electric, a tingling mixed with waves of repulsion, like opposing magnets deflecting our palms. Everything's different on ice. Certainly not the same as fishing for blackfish on bayous or black or backwater. She watches Flynn unpack his gear, notices how methodically he lays everything out on the snow. You're a legend, Flynn. Old school. Flynn laughs. He jams his boning knife into the snow. He and Kendra notice a hooded, black-robed figure standing on the levee. It stands there, motionless, regarding them. They watch as it strides to the judge's chair, watch it climb into its lofty seat. Flynn hefts a black-bladed hand auger. It's a big lake. I'd choose another spot if I were you. Trying to scare me off? Flynn carries his auger past her. Just offering a bit of advice. Ignoring the suggestion, Kendra paces off from Flynn's flag to a spot 12 steps beyond it. She mimics his technique for sensing a shoal, smiles in satisfaction, certain she's found one. Jamming a pick into the ice, Kendra chips a small hole and sets her flag. An air horn blares. On the judge's chair, a sign reads, round one. Black and red bladed augers drill into ice. Both contestants ladle slush from their 10 inch holes. A single fishing hole each. Flynn grabs a rectangular red flag tip-up off the snow. Beneath the railed wooden device is an attached spool of fishing line. Flynn pops open his tackle box. He fits the tip-up spool line with a silver sinker and a minnow-shaped lure with a single gold hook. From a five-gallon bait bucket, Flynn grabs a thin roll of cash. He zip-ties the cash to the lure. As he drops the baited line in his fishing hole and submerges the spool, Flynn glances at Kendra. She's baiting her line with a small round framed mirror. Flynn presses the wooden tip-up rack over his hole. The rack's red flag instantly pops skyward. That's fast. Flynn starts hand pulling his catch. They're that greedy. The orange flag on Kendra's tip-up pops up. In that vein. Flynn glides a thick eel-like black fish out of the ice hole. The fish's outer body glistens with slime. Black gills fan out as it gasps, cold air. Flynn unhooks the fish. He sloughs off its slime and dumps the fish inside a plastic cooler, then deftly resets his tip-up rig with a fresh wad of money bait. Kendra's catch is smaller, arm thick and squirmy. Flynn's haul looks larger than Kendra's in size and weight. They catch fish after fish until the air horn blares. A new sign on the judge's chair declares, round two, fade out. Featuring Kendra, read by Samantha Shu, Flynn, read by Matt Gallagher, narrator, read by Shondar McKinney. Hey everyone, sorry to stop the show, but we have to pay some bills around here. And to do that, I wanted to point out a couple things I have on offer at my site, shaneborza.com. If you scroll down to my courses, you can see I have both a content creator live class and a DIY version. These teach you everything you need to know from a production standpoint so you can either get a writing project done, an audio project, or a film project. It doesn't matter, it works for everyone. If you scroll down, you can see some of my clients and some of the testimonials people have left telling you how helpful this has been for them. So I hope you check that out.
You can also go to my shop and you can see all that I have on offer to include coaching programs, audio stuff like soundtracks, film production stuff. I have filmmaker bundles, all types of things you might need to help you get your art out into the world. As you can see, I also have a number of books. They are all on Apple Books. So you can go to my site and get them directly, or you can go to Apple Books, put my name in, and then you can see all the books there. They are easily downloadable, and you can read them on an iPad or something like that. There are coaching books here. There are poetry and photo books here. And I'm very excited. I just updated my Film Notes workbook and Film Notes book. They are expanded and updated 2023 editions. So please check those out if you want some extra stuff to help teach you production. And now back to the show. The Extraction List by Renee M. Milland. An inconspicuous van that appears to be a work vehicle. The perfect disguise. Kane in a hooded sweatshirt leans against the wheel, looks up at the stars. The door slides open and Riley emerges. Can't sleep. Can you blame me? No. Riley looks at the man. Jordan, is she really okay? They almost... Jordan's never quite been okay. She seems abnormally calm about earlier. I'd be a wreck. Kane picks up a rock, tosses it back and forth between his hands, finally tosses it away. Live the way we do? You get numb. Is that a good thing? No. Riley sits down next to him, looks up. Those stars, they almost make it seem like the world really hasn't gone to hell, don't they? <laughs> what do you think I'm sitting here for? They sit in silence for a few moments. Why are you here? Money. Lots of money. Bull. Why are you here, really? Kane pauses, choosing his answer carefully. Riley doesn't flinch as he takes out one of his knives, plays with it, gently pressing the tip against his finger. I could ask you the same thing. What do you mean? I see the way you look at your mother, or don't rather. You haven't looked her in the eye since I met you. Riley takes out a picture of Bo, her, and Clara from her pocket. The three of them are smiling. She has a baseball glove on and she holds a baseball. This is the only thing I grabbed before we ran. I love my mom. I don't doubt it. But I wonder why you weren't snuggled up in the van next to mommy instead of sitting here in the cold with a stranger. Maybe I'm curious. You make me curious. <laughs> I have that effect on people. But I also know your face. My face? The face of a person who loves someone and hates them at the exact same time. Riley hears a noise in the distance, leans closer to Kane. She briefly notices herself do it and pulls away. Animals. Just animals. You know the woods, huh? Uh, I know the night. Riley shivers. Kane unzips his sweatshirt, exposing toned arms. Riley notices. He hands her the sweatshirt. After a moment's hesitation, she accepts. Thanks. Kane nods. Riley pulls her hands in the pocket, puts her hands in the pocket of the sweatshirt, feels something inside, pulls out a small carved wooden soldier. What's this? Something that reminds me even before this. Life has never been simple. Riley hands it to him. He puts it in the pocket of his jeans. It's not that I hate her. Just, she's just all encompassing. 
which I do hate. She swallows up everything around her. Riley gets up, peeks through the window of the van. Claire tosses and turns in a fitful sleep. My dad left because he didn't feel like he mattered anymore. Maybe he didn't. Because what she needs always takes over everything else. She looks down, breaks eye contact. Everyone else. Riley sits back down, fiddles with the sleeves of the sweatshirt, too big for her frame. I think I'm disappearing a little each day. Eventually I'll be gone, snuffed out by her blinding light, or maybe the spotlight's why I can't see. She can't seem to avoid it. Must be hard being the daughter of the American Moses. Didn't get us to the promised land, but she sure as hell led us into the desert. I think she wanted to do a good thing. Yeah, but good intentions, road to hell and all that. There are many roads to hell, kid. What about you? Who do you love to hate or hate to love? Kane stares at her, gets up and extends his hand. I want to show you something. Riley takes it. What is it? How not to disappear. Featuring Riley, read by Samantha Shu, Kane, read by Kane Blust. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. The Once Inside by Alicia Sophius. Interior, diner, day. Alicia spots Gypsy right away, slides into a back booth across from her. Before she can speak, a waitress in a striped apron is there. Coffee? Alicia looks at Gypsy. Gypsy shakes her head politely, taps her water glass. I'm fine. Uh, coffee, please. Black. Hey, you're that reporter. Waitress looks over at Gypsy, puts two and two together. I, I, I'll get that coffee. Alicia waits until she's out of V's driving range, sighs. I know, people are scared of us. I'm not. Gypsy relaxes, points, his, points to Alicia's black jacket. Thank you. Of course. Can I talk without, well, what's it called? Off the record? Listen, right now, I'm just Alicia, having coffee and water with Gypsy. Waitress puts the coffee in front of Alicia. Still looks scared. Alicia stares her down. She scurries away. It is true what they're saying about the brainwashing stuff. Gypsy takes a big gulp of water, ready to open the floodgates. And I know everyone hates my mom, but you don't understand. She did what she could to protect us. You're so different. How did you know it was wrong? They called it loving. What he did? I always knew it wasn't love. He shook cringes. Why didn't anyone go to the police? We all knew he would do, well, what he did, if that happened. Gypsy looks down, traces the glass rim with her finger. My cousins, Ruby and Sophia. The ones who started the standoff? When they, when they ran away, he took it out on us, controlled us more, didn't let us out of his sight, hit us in rusty old boats, tents in the mountains, the school bus, and then in that house. Alicia drops her head. Where are you staying now? In a shelter. A few months ago, he let me go into a store alone. I knew if I stayed, I would die, so I ran. Gypsy's eyes fill with tears. I should have stayed. Alicia puts her hand over Gypsy's scarred hand. You're alive because you got away. But the ones inside, they didn't. Alicia pulls her napkin out from under the silverware, hands it to Gypsy. 
The first time I ever cried was the day I ran away. He didn't let us. My family still haven't cried. At least he can't hurt you anymore. Oh, he's still in control. It's why I wanted to talk to you. He only kept them alive in case he gets out someday. I'm worried about them. Gypsy gets emotional. You know, I had this dream that someday I would come back and save everyone. She breaks down. Leisha leans in more touched, then looks down, trying to process and solve. Yes, that's it. Maybe we still can. We? Featuring Waitress, read by Ellen Richards. Alicia, read by Danica Jensen. Gypsy, read by Samantha Shu. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. To save a boy? Interior, the Cultural Center Day. Eva and Anton sit at the piano, play around and test the basic melody they have down. It's fun, Anton is more relaxed now. Eva restarts the melody and Anton looks focused. He starts singing. Eva fills in and sings along. I'm standing here outside your door. Can't come in despite my attempts. Everything's as before. Anton stops singing. He continues humming along without lyrics. Eva stops playing. There's something to it. Great. Do you want a soda? Anton nods. Eva goes to the kitchen. She comes back and hands over the soda can to Anton. How's school? Anton shrugs his shoulders. Do you like the people you live with? Anton shakes his head. You'd rather be with your dad? Yeah. Is he nice? Yeah. What do you normally do together? Your, your dad and you. I don't know. Uh, sometimes we watch films. Okay. Eva takes a few things out of her pocket. I'd like to show you something. Look at the balloon. She hands it to him. It almost looks sad. You barely see it when it's lying there. Anton takes the balloon, looks at it, and feels it. It looks dead. But look here. If I think good thoughts about it and blow them up in my mind, it grows. Ebba blows up the balloon a little. It grows. Do you see? It's more visible now. Nice and red. It looks like it's feeling better, don't you think? We can do that with love. Anton wrinkles his nose. Ebba smiles. Have you ever felt love? Anton shakes his head. His nose still wrinkled. Love is a, a beautiful thing. You, you kiss and stuff. It can be that. You can hug and say nice things to each other. That's also love. Anton nods and looks to the ground. Eva picks up a needle. Here, feel this. Anton touches the needle with his finger. It's sharp. Exactly. You could hurt yourself on it, couldn't you? Anton nods. And that's not fun, is it? When it hurts. The needle could destroy the balloon, couldn't it? This small thing can destroy this big balloon. We can call this sharp little needle hatred. 
and anger. Do you get angry sometimes? Anton nods. When dad says I'm not allowed to play computer games. Does dad get angry at you when you get angry? Anton nods. But it passes after a while, right? And then you're not angry anymore? And maybe dad tells you he's sorry, too. Anton looks at her without answering the question. Eva picks up the scotch tape. Scotch tape is good. You can fix a lot of things with it, can't you? Dad made me armor with scotch tape and cardboard once. Eva looks at Anton, loses her train of thought for a second. She nods. He did? Was it nice? Anton nods. Let's call the scotch tape the truth. It fixes things. It protects things. Okay. Eva blows up the balloon fully and ties it at the end. Now I filled it with a lot of love and locked it in. She attaches a bit of scotch to the balloon. Now this needle, the hatred, wants to ruin the love. Why? The needle is scared of what it is to be grand and beautiful. And sometimes when you're scared, you become angry. Anton nods slowly. Eva, Eva leads the needle to the balloon. Anton covers his ears and squints. The needle goes right through the balloon, but nothing happens. The needle falls to the bottom of the balloon. Anton looks surprised. Why didn't it pop? The truth keeps the love together. Truth and love win over hatred. Always. Eva smiles at him. Why did your dad tell you not to talk to me? Anton takes a sip of his soda. He said people like you are parasites. Eva is taken aback. Do you know what that is? Anton shrugs his shoulders. Do you think I'm a parasite? Anton doesn't respond. Eva is visibly upset and tries to control herself. The things your dad says sometimes are, are, are just what he thinks, right? Not what you think. Okay. You know that your dad can go to prison. He's angry and afraid. Anton looks increasingly reserved. Eva begins to get fired up. You can't believe everything he says to you, Anton. Do you know what your dad did to me? Anton gets up hastily and runs out of the cultural center. Eva barely has time to react. Damn. Eva runs after him. Featuring... Ebba, read by Ellen Richards. Anton, read by Matt Gallagher. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Warrior Spirit by Chris Tessera. Interior, Prisoner's Office, Day. I know the last few fights have been rough, but you're going to have to dig deep for this one. Martinez is tired of waiting for his title shot. He's pissed off. Yeah, I know. So, 125000 right? Right. Prisoner pauses. You could double that money. Huh? Bet your entire purse. Jake looks bewildered. Jesus, that's a huge gamble. Yeah, but if you don't do it, you definitely won't be able to pay for your daughter's operation. I don't think you have any other choice. Jake stands up. Who would even take the bet? Sam Coney would. I thought you told me not to deal with the mob. 
That was if you were asking them for a loan. You're putting up your fight money as collateral here. You lose, the money goes to them, and that's the end of the story. Jake stares out the window. You think I can beat him? I won't lie, Jake. It's going to be a very tough fight. Jake turns to him. How soon's the fight? A month, which doesn't give you a whole lot of time. Jake looks at him. You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Featuring Jake, read by Kane Blust. Pisner, read by Matt Gallagher. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Wonder Drugs by L. Andrew Cooper. Interior, Harriet's bedroom, morning. Harriet and Shayla, still a lion, sleep in bed, tangled in bed covers. Harriet's nightgown has a floral pattern. The alarm clock chimes. Harriet swats it with a languid hand and arm. She keeps her eyes closed. No, I can't. I won't. Harriet opens her eyes. The ceiling feels close. I have to. Oh, who says you have to? Shayla's head pops up. She looks at Harriet, then down at the bed. A small hole in the mattress and sheets is near their heads. It's the source of the bed's voice. They look at it when the bed talks. Harriet sits up halfway. She crashes back down. My job. My everything. I'm your home. Nowhere is more accepting than I am. Harriet suddenly starts crying. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. It's always there with me. I'm beyond repair. It's time for replacement. Shayla licks Harriet's face. Harriet scratches behind Shayla's ears. The tears stop as suddenly as they began. Stay with me. Forget everything. You love me. Next to a coma, I'm as close as you'll get to salvation. I'm so heavy. I don't know if I can lift myself. If my mind would shut off, bed would be perfect. Maybe I can still sleep. Shayla leaves over Harriet off the bed and onto the floor. Don't listen to it. You don't want to be in a coma. You don't want to be stuck in bed. How does a cat know what you want? I support you every night and I'll support you all day. I keep you cozy. I keep trouble away. I'm tired of trouble. I'm simply tired. I could rot here. Check your dial, Harriet. Bed is taking advantage of you. Harriet sits up and looks at the dial beside her bed. It's stuck near zero. That must make me heavy. I'll try to get up. But Harriet, no, listen. Shayla offers Harriet a paw. Don't listen. Take my paw. Harriet takes Shayla's paw. Shayla walks backward, pulling her out of bed. Harriet turns back and grabs a blanket. Dragging the blanket, she puts on slippers and walks walks past Shayla. I'll go lie on the sofa a minute, then coffee, be less heavy. Harriet, not the sofa! Harriet! Featuring Harriet, read by Shonda McKinney. Bed, read by Samantha Shu. Shala, read by Danica Jensen. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Xander's Son, Queen Protector of the Diverse, animated web series pilot by Harold Brown. Xander's Bedroom. Oliver sneaks up behind Xander sitting at her computer. He's wearing the gaming glasses. Boo, 
Xander stares at her computer and does not flinch. Oh, fight me. Get it? B-Y-T-E. Yeah, yeah. Oliver takes the glasses off and lets them hang around his neck. He steps in front of Xander, bumping her wheelchair. Hey! He motions to a piece of her long sweater under her wheel. Still trying to look older? Xander smiles. It's not working. Older than you, little bro, and don't you forget it. Taller than you. Older than you. But you're still a kid. I'm a teenager. Barely. Oliver yanks her sweater away from the wheel. I've been hacked again. It's all your fault. Xander motions to her black monitor. Uh, you're not the only one. I was trying to do you a favor. A favor? I've been chasing those cyber bullies. Don't do me any favors anymore, okay? Xander's computer monitor snaps back to life. Oliver jumps. <laughs> now who's afraid? He starts shaking his leg. I got a leg cramp. Xander glances at her wheelchair. <laughs> Lucky you. A message flashes up on her computer screen. Give me the putz prototype. What's a putz prototype? Xander shakes her head. She wheels up to her monitor and types, what is putz? Monitor response, no games. Give me putz or prepare for your worst nightmare, CL. Who's CL? We gotta tell mom and dad. Tell them what? Besides, they don't care about what I do. Oh, poor you. Ever since you bend your head, you seem smarter. Xander rubs the back of her head and smiles. And dumber. Xander motions to her wheelchair. I was pushed in front of that car. Yeah, yeah, that's what you say. Mom and dad say you were off running around on one of your crusades and weren't paying attention. Ugh, oh, bite me. Mom says you had your eyes glued to your stupid phone. Sandra appears to not hear this last comment. Now I'll never leave home. She searches for something positive to say, forces a smile. Because I don't have to. What do you do when you really grow up and mom and dad aren't around? Maybe I'll be cured by then. Oliver's look turns worried. Oh, you really do care about me. It wasn't my computer. Sander notices the gaming glasses around Oliver's neck. Dad's work computer? Oliver shrugs. How did it get there in the first place? Oliver shrugs. I was asleep. Then I got hungry. Went for a peanut butter sandwich. You got into dad's safe? Oliver smiles. You didn't touch dad's work goggles. These are just some old gaming glasses. Oliver pulls the glasses off and tosses them on her bed. Featuring Oliver, read by Shondar McKinney. Xander, read by Danica Jensen. Narrator, read by Shane Borza. Special thanks to Joyce Yu for the additional voiceover in this episode. To learn more about Joyce and what she does, go to JoyceU.com. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to support the show, please click on the link below. You can also contact me at my website if you have any questions about filmmaking or anything else. Off to the side, you'll see a couple of my books, Film Notes and the Film Notes Workbook. I encourage you to check those out if you'd like to learn more about filmmaking. See you in the next episode. Scene one, Apple, take one.